this is Top Quality Faith Ministries podcast, a multicultural global church mandated by God the Father to love and to serve as an instrument of the body of Christ. This is the house where God builds top quality faith in his people. Wherever you are listening from, we pray that you are blessed by today's message. This call is being recorded. For your blessings, for your grace and your mercy and your love. For just waking us up this morning and getting us through this day. We welcome you into our studies tonight, Father God, that you will guide and, and anoint each and one of us, that we can all contribute and participate and withdraw from this a better understanding of your word. And we forever give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so I need to take you guys backwards in order to move you forward. So it's so important that I take each one of you. You guys can hear me? Hello? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. I need to take you guys backwards in order to move you forward. So in order for me to get you to a place where uh, God is really trying to get you to understand why we're walking through Exodus, we're going to go backwards and I'll share at the end of the message, you know, the link that I have you guys reading from. And so, um, let's go forward. I invite you to take your Bibles in hand and turn with me to Exodus 4. Now, we're continuing tonight in our story of Moses' encounter with the living God in Sinai. As we studied Exodus 1, we saw God's sovereignty being emphasized in his dealings with his people. When we studied Exodus 2, we saw Moses, the future deliverer, introduced to us. He's introduced in a favorable light, but he was unsuccessful in liberating Israel by his own efforts, and he ends up in exile. At the end of Exodus 2, we see in verse 23 to the end of the chapter that it was emphasized that the redemption of Israel is rooted in God's prior promises, his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you read Exodus 2, verses 24 and 25, you wonder, okay, what is God going to do to fulfill these promises that he has made to Abraham? And Exodus 3 is your answer. You get to Exodus 3, and in verses 1 through 12, we saw two or three very important things. First of all, God reveals himself to Moses. He not only reveals himself through this manifestation as a burning bush, he reveals himself by his word and by his name. And so God reveals himself to Moses, tells him that he cares about his people, though they have been through much oppression, and that he's going to make Moses to be their deliverer. Secondly, God announces to Moses his concern for the people and tells him that Moses will deliver his people in order that they might worship him. Moses is told then that the very purpose of the Exodus is that the people of God might worship at Sinai. We're saved in order to worship. Beginning in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses starts a series of five questions. The longer the questions go on, the more they become objections. God's already appointed him as deliverer. He's told him that he will be his spokesperson to the elders, to Pharaoh, and to the people of Israel, 
And Moses continues to raise questions about that, even objections about God's appointment of him as deliverer and spokesman. In Exodus 3.11, you get the first question. And the question is, who am I? It's a question that's born of humility. You know, what would give me the right? What would make me be the person that you would choose to do this very important task? Then in verse 13, Exodus 3, verse 13, he asked the second question. Okay, Lord, if I'm your spokesperson, when I go, who do I say that sent me? Who do I say commissioned me? In answer to that question, God defines himself, giving Moses that covenant name that he is the Lord. He is Jehovah. He is the Lord God of Israel. He defines himself, and it's very clear, but it's even clearer after that point. God will be the center of the story. Yes, Moses is the deliverer, but ultimately God is the deliverer of his people. Then last week, looking at Exodus 4, verses 1 through 9, we came to Moses' next question. It was his third question. Basically, he asked this, what do I do if the people won't listen to me? What do I do if the people say, well, you haven't had a vision from God? What do I do in that circumstance? And that, we said, was a real challenge. Moses knew from his own experience that the people of God were prone to reject you. He had already experienced that in Egypt. And so the Lord very patiently answers his question by saying, because I'm going to give you three signs, Moses, and by those signs, you will convince the people of God. Those signs did turn out to be convincing for Israel. We'll find that out at the end of this chapter in verse 31. But those signs were not convincing for Pharaoh, as we will also find out in chapter 7, verse 13 and 23. That brings us to our passage tonight, Exodus 4, beginning in verse 10, down to verse 17. This is God's word, hear it expectantly. So, as we begin to look at this, we're walking backwards in order to move forward because it's so important that we understand that we are all spokesmen for God. Just as Moses was called, the Holy Spirit says, I am calling you. I am calling you as my spokesman to stand for me and to speak the things that I am calling forth to each of those I send you to. He said, you are not to add to my word, nor are you to take away from the things in which I speak to you. He said, when you speak, I want you to speak with confidence. And then he says, and I'm not expecting you to know the subject matter. All I'm expecting is that you stand for me. And you speak the things in which I am calling for. And not only shall you speak the things that I am calling for, but if I call you to speak for something you have overcome in, I want you to share it freely. He said not to be in that place where you're concerned with how others may see you. 
as a result of your prior struggles, but I want you to share as it shall free them. And not only shall it free them, but my word will come forth and it will perform what it needs to perform in order for that individuals or individuals, meaning more than one, shall turn from their ways and see who I am. He said, you must understand who you are and what I'm calling you into. And he said, but you also must take the time to sharpen the gifts that I have given you. And what he means by sharpening the gift that he has given you is to understand when he's speaking, you're speaking, to understand when he's speaking versus you're speaking. He said, what do I mean by that? He said, many times my servants shall, uh, uh, shall speak, but they shall speak of the things that are in their hearts, but it's not what I have called forth. These words sounds like me, and they come out of the spirit of the man but they are not me. And he says, in the way you shall know that it is coming from your spirit and not from me, is it it's not lining up with the word. The only way you shall know that it's not me who's speaking, it is not lining up with the word. And he says, so when I speak, if you're ever in doubt, ask me to show you in my word. Then I will show you what I have spoken. He says, say to them, say to them, for many of you know the voice of the adversary. So many of us know the voice of Satan. And so we're not caught up or hung up on the voice of Satan because we know it. And we're easy to deal with that spirit. But he said, but many of you don't know your own voice. compared to mine. And he literally says that the only way that you can know the difference is to spend time in the word. And the best way I can get all of you guys to see this, because I have to talk about me, there's been times in my life where I really thought that I heard the voice of God, but I clearly know that it wasn't God that was speaking. And the way, the way that I knew 
it wasn't after I spoke it. It wasn't immediately after I spoke it, but I would go and I would sit before God. And in my quiet time, I would ask him questions about what I said. And he would clearly say, it is not I. And when he would tell me it is not I, I said, I, Lord, I thought I hurt you. And I would go into this dissertation where I would be beating myself up because I didn't like the thought that I made a mistake. And he would always push past my mistake and just continue to say, get up and go and talk again. So I experienced the Moses experience because when you feel like you're falling short, God doesn't stay, keep you in that area. He pushes you forward to go forward to speak according to what he's calling for. And I got to a place to whereby I recognize something most important. If I'm not reading, how am I speaking? If I don't have a life that is full of the word, then how am I speaking? You guys get that, right? Because sometimes we're speaking and as we're speaking, if we're not always in our word, it'll sound like God, but then it'll automatically take you down another road and you can clearly see that it is not God because it's not lining with scripture. And so the Lord literally showed me that my error was I wasn't putting enough of him in me in order to effectively speak. Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. I'm not saying that God can't speak to somebody that doesn't have the word of God in them. But if you are truly, truly seeking after God, God will, how would I say, cause you to run to him and to literally eat of his word because he knows that in that place where you're eating, he's going to pour forth what he needs for you to speak to any individual. I stop here because I need to give a little bit more there. <clears throat> Exodus 4, verses 10 through 17. Moses has been given very positive press so far in the book of Exodus. It's an honest report, we know. Moses gives a full accounting of himself. He's neither bragging on himself. He doesn't underestimate his role. Neither does he overestimate his role. So far, Moses hasn't, has seen that he has a unique calling to serve God and to perhaps be a deliverer to his people, but he's been unsuccessful. Now that God, 40 years after his time in the wilderness, has come to him again and made him aware that it is indeed his divine call for him to serve as his spokesman and deliverer, Moses is resistant. We've said over and over, Moses finds some other thing to raise about God's plan as God continues to press this commission on him. But even as he does that, God is making something clear to us. And that is, though Moses is indeed his chosen servant, and though Moses is indeed integral to God's plan for bringing about redemption for his people, Moses is not the main actor. God is the deliverer, God is the redeemer, God is the savior. Moses is not perfect. Moses will not redeem Israel because he's an eloquent speaker. He won't redeem Israel because he never trembles in his faith as he faces great odds. 
He won't redeem Israel because he's sinlessly perfected and he never makes a mistake. He'll redeem Israel because God has ordained it. And God has ordained that he will be used as his instrument. Okay. You guys understand that? So we've all been ordained by God. And so we're not going to carry out any tasks on our own. The task in which we're performing is because God has ordained us to step into this particular position to go forward to do his bidding. What you shared is important. You can share that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things a couple Sundays ago that uh, God was sharing with me as we were talking about Moses is um, Moses is pretty much an ambassador for God. He's an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And it represents what he's calling us to do as well. And one of the things the Holy Spirit was showing me in a vision in the, while he was talking to me about ambassadorship is that each ambassador, as well as us, carries a document with us. And each document is a list of instructions um, for what the Lord is trying to carry out. And he showed me something on the document and it was a signet. And I was like, well, I've heard that before because I watch TV and movies, but I don't know what it is. So I looked it up and it is a seal used officially to give personal authority to a document in lieu of a signature of the person who sent them. In other words, the seal on the document is the Lord giving all authority into that document that you are carrying into the place that you are going or the place that we are, are going. But to get a better understanding of it, you see this document being presented in um, when Paul goes forward, he has the approval of the king to go forward, to go after the saints. Um, you can clearly see that he has a written document. You can also see this in Esther, to whereby Esther is uh, overturning a law that was signed by, you know, what is it, Haman? Haman? Haman, Haman, to whereby he had a law that was written with the king's signature to kill all the Jews. And so you can see that this signature uh, is being displayed at this particular time. So you can clearly see that God is literally bringing forth the wisdom here that will cause you to understand the things that God is saying. Let's read a little bit further. <clears throat> Moses here begins to reflect the very unwillingness that he fears Israel will show about his leadership. I'd like to focus on two aspects of the passage that we've just read tonight. The first one you'll see in verse 10 through 12. It's Moses' fourth question to the Lord in this dialogue at Sinai. It's really more of an objection than it is a question. And the objection is basically, Lord, I'm not eloquent. You're appointing me to be a spokesman, and I'm not eloquent. I'm not suited for this. I don't have the right kind of speech patterns. I'm not a very good speaker. Maybe he's saying that he's not very good at Egyptian anymore. It's been 40 years since he spoke it regularly in court. He knows what he's saying, but what he's asserting is that he's not eloquent. He's not up to the task. 
And Moses here, I want you to see this. Moses here begins to reflect the very unwillingness that he fears Israel will show about his leadership. You remember, he's already said, Lord, what if they don't listen to me? But is Moses listening to God? He's worried that Israel won't listen to him. But here the spokesman of God to Israel is continuously saying to the Lord, well, I'm not sure that I'm really willing to do this. You see the irony? Moses fears that Israel won't be willing, but he himself is not willing. And indeed, he will see their unwillingness in coming days. Moses' objection, he says, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. And even my encounter with you hasn't really helped. Look at how he says this. I have never been eloquent, neither recently or in time past. In other words, I don't have a track record of eloquent speech. And Lord, even this encounter with you hasn't changed things. It's almost like an accusation. Lord, I've never been an eloquent speaker. And you wouldn't think that if you're going to call me to do this, that at least you'd do a miracle here in Sinai and I'd be a good speaker. It's almost an accusation. He lays the blame with God. You see the sin of Moses here. This fear of Moses was real. It continued to dog him. If you were to turn forward to Exodus chapter 6, verse 12, he'll raise the issue again. Moses spoke before the Lord saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. The reason why we're going over this, because the Holy Spirit really want to deal with what's dealing with you. Many of you are in a position to whereby you're still questioning the call that's upon your life. You're not only questioning the call that's upon your life, you're even looking at the position he called you into as if he made a mistake. I'm slowing down because I really want you to hear yourselves. And not only to hear yourselves, but to understand that God doesn't make a mistake when he calls you into any position. And his intent is to use you. And he knows exactly what's on the inside of you. Just like he knew what was on the inside of Aaron. And he knew what was on the inside of Moses. He told me to take it further, to even begin to understand what was inside of Miriam. God knew that the people he called were not perfect. But he knew that he could bring forth his message to these, through these individuals to save a nation. And not just a nation but nations to come. And so what he's literally saying to you through his word today, let's take a journey backwards. And as I walk you backwards to see where you've come thus far in Exodus, He says, I now want you to start putting on your clothing.
And what he means by that is to get back to a place where you're redressing yourself in the kingdom. And what he, what he's really trying to get you to actually to see. Remember when we first got saved? Oh gosh, we wanted to do any and everything, right? I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And we were so in that position to do anything that we didn't care what we look like. And not only is it that we didn't care what we look like, we believed God and we took him for his word. But then as things became difficult, we started undressing. Oh Lord, that don't feel right. Oh Lord, this doesn't look right. Oh no, Lord, this is too difficult. Oh Lord, what you put on me, I, I, I can't handle. And we begin to undress the anointings on our lives. And the reason why we undress is because we felt like we were failing at it. Maybe God sent you to speak to someone and it just didn't work out the way you thought. Or maybe you were supposed to say something and that you didn't get an opportunity to say something to the person that you were supposed to say something. Or better yet, you were standing in an assembly and everybody was speaking. And even though you heard something, you didn't think what you heard was valuable enough to change somebody's life. Or better yet, you were able to see something. God gave you a vision and you wasn't recognized or somebody didn't tap you on the shoulder to share what God had given you. And you literally said to the Lord, oh, if this is you, Lord, let them call me. And they didn't call you and you in return felt like what you had was of no value. Maybe you spoke in somebody's life and you made a mistake and you thought it was God and it just wasn't God. Or maybe you're just afraid to speak at all. This is foreign. This doesn't feel comfortable. Or even going as far as basically undressing yourself and saying, God doesn't use me. God doesn't speak to me. Sometimes we even undress ourselves in that particular area. And God is literally saying, the mantle I place on you stands. And it's not something you can give back to him. It's not something you can lose, he says. He says it's not something you can hide. He says it's a gift I've given you. And this gift I, I've given you, I gave it to you even before you came here. And so when I imparted that in you, you were without blame or fault. And so that gift still exists in you today. And he's literally saying, will you embrace what I've given you? He said, 
said, will you lay aside your excuses? I'm not elegant enough because I know I said that. Lord, I'm not educated enough. I said that as well. I even went as far as saying, why me? I even went as far as saying, I'm not a man, Lord. That you would give me such a task. I even went as far as saying to the Lord, I hate this because I don't like being put on the spot. He said, whatever your excuses are, he said, he showed me like him taking them and raising them above you. And when he's saying he's raising them above you, he's saying he's not holding them against you. And so what he's literally saying, he took these excuses off of you, meaning that he's not even considering them, just as he did not consider them with Moses. And he says, and I need you to know that you qualify for the role in which I've given you. And your life speaks to everything that you shall do in my name. And he said, but you must pick up what I've given you and move forward. He goes on to say that you are his mouthpiece. And he shall pour into you. The way he said it was my gospel. And all shall hear the words that I speak through you. But he goes on to say, but you mustn't remain in the places where you've been. And what he mean by remaining in the places where you've been, where you've denied him and what he's given you. And then he says to me to say to you, listen, for I am speaking directly to you. And he's literally saying to each one of you that you hear him. He said, no more shall you make excuses. And then he reminds me there was one time I was having a conversation with him and I was like, Lord, why do I got to ask you the same thing over and over and over? And I just don't trust you. And I, and I continue to struggle in this area. And Lord, can you remind me of what you said to me? He said, yes. Your doubt continues to hinder the work that I'm doing. 
He said, I cannot and I will not treat you as a baby. And he literally told me then, and he's telling me to tell you guys now, stop over-processing what he's giving you. You know, Lord, if it's you, then say it again. That's what I used to always do. Lord, if it's you, you say it in a way that I know it's not me speaking. It's me over-processing it. And by the time I finish over-processing it, that word was supposed to go forward, but I never gave it out because I was so busy in that place trying to verify what I had. To the point he said to me, you know it's me speaking. And I still said, if it's you, say it again. And he just literally says, to look back at Moses, when he first went out and he spoke in according to what God had told him, things didn't work out in, to how he thought it was going to be. And he felt like a failure. And the Lord literally says to me that some of you are in that place where you feel like you're a failure. Just say it. <laughs> So I stop here for a moment. As <laughs> <clears throat> pastor was um, speaking that, um, Holy Spirit reminded me of the verse that she was actually almost speaking word for word. Um, and as she was speaking it, the Lord was really pressing on my heart how much of almost a, it's like a, a, a love letter from him to us, an individual call for each of us. Um, and it's from Ezekiel 16 and it's verse one through 14. And he says, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field for you on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in blood. And as you lay there in blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed into, into puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later, I passed by. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord.
Holy Spirit just literally said, stop and take that in. And then he says, but as you take it in, don't push away from him. And he literally says, hold fast to his word. Need you to walk a little bit further. Can I say something quick? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, when you read about Moses, you see that the trouble of what he did with what we do the same is when we hear him, we weigh the credibility of his voice against our own experiences we've had in this realm. So instead, we, instead of seeing where he's come from, which is where we're from, we weigh his credibility of what he's actually saying because we say, uh, he says something and they say, but this is happening in my life as if it's greater than him, uh, or this has happened in my life, or this circumstance. So we're seeing things from this side of the veil instead of the other side. So it's hard for us to accept and it's constantly challenged in the credibility of his word. You speak volume in that because I, I, I can truly say that's where I struggle when I used to go back and forth. This is you, then say this. If this is you, then do this. This is you, then do that. And it was like, I didn't believe the word. I didn't trust him, but yet he kept speaking. I didn't agree with what he was telling me to do, but yet he kept pushing. And the more he was pushing, the more I got used to it, even to the point whereby he was pushing. And how would I say? I would intentionally do stupid stuff to try to get out of it. And he pushed past my own sin because I would literally say, well, you know, I just did this. I know you're not going to use me. And then he's like, get up and do it anyway. And then I'm like, well, you can't be God because you point out my sin. And even in that, he said, no, you mistaken. I died for your sin. And many of us are in that place to whereby we don't really see that. And we think that God is still in that position to whereby he's constantly focused in on our shortfall and what he's really trying to get you to understand. His love is greater than that. And once you embrace his love, that you won't have your shortfalls. Shortfalls exist in us because of our lack of embrace of his love. Well, a little bit further. Back to Exodus. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so Moses' last complaint, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me, for I am unskilled in speech? Moses is really bothered by this. Everyone speculates as to what this is. There have been suggestions this is a speech impediment. There have been suggestions that this is a loss of some of his linguistic skills, even though he'd grown up in Egypt. Even though he had grown up speaking their language, perhaps he was fearful that he had lost the pronunciation or the touch in his 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know what it is, but the point is, Moses' worry misses the point. Let me stop you right there. As you were saying that, the Holy Spirit reminded me of how many times have you been in a room with people and they listen to everybody but you. So it sounds like that he was in a position to whereby he was overlooked 
even though he had all of these great qualities. And sometimes we are in positions where we feel we're overlooked with the qualities that we have. Especially if you've been in a job and you've been in a job where you've done great work and everybody that does not do great work are recognized. You feel overlooked. You feel that what you have is devalued and you can't understand why they're constantly getting promoted and you're not even being looked at, but you're doing the greater work. Lord said, could this be what he was speaking of? Could this be what you speak of when you resist the things that I've called forth? And he says, and if this is so, Will you lay that aside today? He says, I've never looked for someone who's elegant. I've always looked for someone who's broken. Who will allow me to use them. <clears throat> uh, okay. Moses's worry misses the point. God has not chosen him because he's eloquent. Eloquence is not what is needed. A man who simply speaks the truth is that which is needed. And Paul recognized this in his own day. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, Believe it or not, Paul himself was accused by the Corinthians of being fairly unimpressive in his public speech when he was preaching amongst them. They apparently thought Apollos was a lot better preacher than Paul. I've always had a hard time taking that in, but apparently they thought Apollos was a lot better preacher than Paul. They say in 2 Corinthians 10.10, they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. God takes Moses in light of his objection. God takes Moses right back to the doctrine of creation, and he emphasizes his sovereignty. God is the one who gives or gifts as he chooses. If God has called Moses, he can give Moses what Moses needs. Let me stop you right there. God is literally saying to us, even as we were reading that, he literally said to me, I've chosen you. He says, it's not because of what you don't do or what you have done. I've chosen you. He said, you are the one I've chosen. And he says, and I did not make a mistake. He says, I want each one of you to stop. And I want you to go and find a mirror. And I want you to look in the mirror and hear me say to you that I've chosen you. But as you look in that mirror and you see yourselves, I want you to see yourselves not as you have seen yourself, but see yourself as I see you. 
And when you look at yourself, I want you to say to yourself, he's chosen me. He's created me as a worship instrument for his usage. And as I go forward, I shall bring him glory. And those of you who are sitting in this room, look in the mirror. Remind yourself, he's chosen you. And he's chosen you in your current state, in your current condition. And he's pleased with what he's chosen. And as you look at you, literally say, he did not make a mistake. And then you should hear, if you're really listening, he says, you are the one I've chosen. <laughs> And for those of you who are on the phone, get up, take your phone with you, walk to the mirror, and hear what he's saying to you. And if you hear something, take yourself off a of mute and hear, share with us what God is saying to you about what he's called you. You can hear the call. You can hear him speaking. You're the ambassador. You're the one he's chosen. You're the one that carries his message. The spirit of truth reside in you. And he says, I'm with you. And he's asking you to believe this. He says, will you believe that I've chosen you? He's not talking about past experience because past experience is what got you here today. And this is why he's talking to you now. And he says, but you know the adversary has been speaking to you as well. He speaks of your qualifications. And I deem you qualified. He talks about how educated you are. And the Lord says, but I don't look at education. I look at what I put in you. He says, I don't make mistakes. And I do not lie. And then he shows me in the spirit, there's a seal on each one of our hearts. And that's our letter. And he shows me that seal. And so you can see the seal on your heart.
And I just hear him saying, embrace. And then it goes on to say, let not your heart be troubled. And then he literally says, believe. Get to go further. <clears throat> Anybody hear something before we go further? I did. I got on in the last minute, but I wanted to to share. Can I share? Of course. Um, he reminded me. You know, I have a an a little, uh, an angel on my on my thing that you you know that thing that you put down so the sun doesn't hit your your face. I forget what it's called. The visor. Anyways, I put it down, and I've had this angel for I don't know how long, and I've never read it, and it said, "You're enough." And when I was looking in the mirror, when I was looking in the mirror, he reminded me, he telling me, you're enough. What you have is enough for me. And it just was, it's just weird because I, I've had that hanging there for I don't know how long and I have never read it. But that's what I heard and that's what he reminded me that I just read that today and that he's reminding me again that I'm enough. First God. Louder. <laughs> well, before you got on, I was just, I just said that to myself in my head. You're enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Praise. Praise God. It was funny because as I was looking at the mirror, I got really uncomfortable for a second. And um, the Lord, you know, I don't know if he's, he, if you guys have had, the uh the chance to see god stand up um but god's pretty funny and so as as i'm looking at the mirror he uh he's reminding me of all the things that i say in the mirror that i don't like about myself oh, wow. the things that physically i don't like about myself the questions i ask about myself um things were like man you know when you look back at something you did like oh i was such an idiot and you know what he said to me and I laugh because I said all these things numerous times. He said, yeah, that person, even with all those things, yeah, I've called that person. The uncomfortable person, the person who hates himself sometimes, I call that person forward. <laughs> yeah, that one. Praise God. <laughs> even all the things that you look at and you say, I hate this physically or mentally about myself. He said, I still call that person forward. I'm not pointing those. I'm not pointing any of those things out. I'm still calling that person forward. Amen. Anyone else? I heard him say, I will use you and do not be afraid. And then I heard a weird thing that I always look up when I hear weird expressions. I heard proof is in the pudding. And I looked it up and it, it says, um, the expression is used to say that the real worth, success, or effectiveness of something can only be determined by putting it to the test, by trying or using it, um, just as the best test of a pudding is to eat it. <laughs> Praise God. Anyone else? Um, once I got in the mirror, I started to say the things that you were speaking to us over myself. Then I started to realize that, um, that there's, you know, a lot of stuff that 
just starts it, it sounds like um like it just starts talking before i start talking if that makes any sense like things that already speak to me before i open my mouth and say just kind of like to i don't know like put a damper on myself i don't know if that makes any sense but i know it's not what the word says about me but i just uh paid attention to it this time um and it just made me look at the things that i allow to speak and i'm like okay i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to take this hi scott Praise God, because it helps you to see beyond where you're standing, because you know that these things have been working against you, and it's really working against the Christ that exists on the inside of you, because the never stand for Christ. Can you guys still hear us? Now, yeah, now, we can. God is capable of taking into consideration everything about Moses that needs to be taken into consideration as he calls him into service. So notice what the Lord says. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, God reassures by reminding him that he is the one who creates and he is the one who gives these gifts. By the way, in Matthew 11, verse 4 and 5, when John asked, Lord, are you the one or do we look for another? Do you remember what Jesus tells the disciples to go back and say to John? Blind see, the lame walk. Just as God had assured Moses of his sovereignty and his wisdom by reminding him that he was the one that made the blind to see, lame to walk, deaf to hear, dumb to speak. So Jesus assures John that he indeed is divine. That he is the one from whom he was looking by saying, look at what I'm doing, John. In my ministry, I am doing the deeds of God. Going back to Moses, God is gracious with Moses, even after these questions. We're on the fourth one now, fourth question, also fourth objection. God graciously and patiently promises emphatically to Moses to be his mouthpiece, to be his teacher, to be his supplier of words. Look at verse 12. Look how strongly he says it. Though, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. God is literally making sure that you guys really take a look at that because that's what he's trying to make sure that you understand. You don't have to find the words yourself. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to overly study. He's literally telling you that he will be with you and you will be his mouthpiece. Can you reread that again? Go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. God is promising to be Moses' teleprompter. He doesn't have to think of anything. God is going to supply the words that he needs. And it's not the eloquence of Moses that he's after. There are two things that stand out to me about this first section. First one is this, simply. That God uses sinful and weak vessels to accomplish his purposes. Oh. 
Moses displays the same kind of weakness, the same kind of unwillingness that Israel's displayed and will display. The story of God's servants in the Bible is not the story of sinlessly perfect servants. You can look at Abraham, you can look at Isaac, you can look at Jacob, you can look at Joseph, you can look at Moses, you can look at David. All of them, save one, are fulfilled with faults and foibles and flaws. God is the Savior. He's the true Savior. Moses is his instrument. But it's not through Moses' courage. It's not through Moses' eloquence. It's not through Moses' native abilities that the people of God are going to be saved. So even in the instance of Moses' failure of faith, God is just reminding us again that in the final analysis, it's he who saves us. Secondly, God is showing to us here that his message is powerful apart from the way that it is delivered. We live in a culture where the method is the message. We care more about the way you deliver the information than the information itself. We want it snappy, we want it easy, we want it accessible. We'd like it with a tune and maybe with a video as well. God, however, gives us words which in of themselves are powerful. They are his words, they are creative, they never return void. And usually he deliberately delivers them to us without any flashiness, without any eloquence. You know, it's interesting, we are told that Egyptian magicians were usually thought to be very eloquent in their speech. And it seems here that God has deliberately chosen an ineloquent spokesman so that the message stands out more than the messenger. So that the message itself is not lost in eloquence, but stands out more starkly. Be sure that you guys hear that one. That one should have worked when as you guys heard it in your own hearts. And the Holy Spirit is literally saying it is the message, not the messenger. And so he's literally saying that as he moves forward on the inside of you, they will hear the message. They're not focusing on the messenger. And you are focused on being the messenger. And so many times you get tripped up because you think that the people focused on you. God chose you because they would listen to you as the messenger because you have nothing that stands out about you. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, I am who God has chosen. That's what we need to say to ourselves again. I am who God has chosen. And he has chosen me not because I'm elegant. He has chosen me not for my education. Has chosen me because he understands my value and worth. He understands my value and worth, meaning I don't deem myself as valuable. I don't deem myself as elegant. I don't deem myself as somebody that you would even choose for. That's why he's chosen us. He says, how can I get you to see the miracles that resides on the inside of you if you won't even come to the place? For some reason or another, he shows me a baseball field. And there's a batter that is sitting in the dugouts 
and it's that person's turn to go forward. And they're waiting, meaning the crowd is waiting for the person to come out the duck house and to come up to bat. But he shows me the person caught up in their emotions because the prior time they came up to bat, they were struck out. And so even though it's their turn to play, they choose not to play because of what they experienced before. And the Lord literally says to me, there will be times where you strike out. Meaning that you're going to miss it all together, such as Moses missed it all together. But that doesn't mean that you don't get up to bat the next time I call you to go forward to share my word. He said, you must remember, you're not batting. He is. Remember, this is his game. And he's just using us to win it. Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. He even shows me when the person does go up to bat. And even though he struck out the last time and he's hesitant, he showed me himself running around the bases. Meaning he's touching bases with everything to ensure that everything works out according to plan. So even before the person hit the ball, I see him touching bases with everything. So he's already ahead of whatever he's doing on the inside of you. And he's there to see to it that his word carries forward. And if you really pay attention to it, as we move forward into chapter seven and eight, God is telling you ahead of time what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, because he's gonna make a mockery of every single God that this nation serves. And he's tearing down every single God, one after another. But we can't begin to see what he's doing if we don't step into the game. We can't be spectators anymore, you guys. We can't try to buy our ticket. And what he means by buy our ticket to heaven is where we're trying to be good. Trying to be perfect. And he literally said through the reading of this message that's coming forth, he's not looking for perfection. Go further. Paul himself, having been thought of by the Corinthians as not much of a preacher, understood this very point. Paul says this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. Notice there that Paul suggests that cleverness of speech can actually make void the cross of Christ, can drown it out, can garble the message. It's not to be delivered in cleverness of speech for the word of the cross to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he goes on his way on to say, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. This plain spoken man, this ineloquent man, because he speaks the truth in the very simplicity of that speaking will exalt God's sovereignty. He will rebuke man's vanity. He will make the truth less palatable to those who are wise in their own eyes. And he will make the truth more easily graspable by the humble and all by choosing an ill ineloquent messenger. Oh my God. Did you guys get that? As you heard that, you should have said, oh my God, that's why you chose me. Don't you get it? That's why you chose me. He said, not only have I chose you, but I am constantly moving on the inside of you. He said, you must allow me to bring you forward that you may change the hearts of my people. For many of them cry out for redemption. He said, many of them are searching for me. And you are the ones I have chosen to reveal who I am to them. And he just says, do not you see that I have thee? He says, for what I shall speak through you, they should hear. And they shall understand that I am Lord. He said, who are not only is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but your God as well. It goes on to say, you have weathered the storms. And I deem you worthy to go forward. He said, but you must lay aside your fear of rejection and cling to me. Cling to me. As he literally says this, he reminds me of the scripture where he sends the disciples out two by two. And as he's sending them forward, the first thing that they look at is that they're not ready. 
Not only is it that they're not ready, they don't feel equipped. And not only is it that they don't feel equipped, they feel like something needs to be poured into them that they're ready. And sometimes I think we feel like that. Lord, let your anointing fall, pour into me that we may be ready. And the Lord says, you are ready. I feel the anointing. And he's literally saying that, and I acknowledge, acknowledge. Uh, he literally said, Readiness will never feel like you're ready. Don't you get it? When you're ready, you'll never feel it. And it literally says, every time you've been promoted, did you feel like you were ready to be promoted? Every time you got something that was up beyond where you're at, did you feel like you deserved it? He says, so readiness never feels like you're ready. But yet I call you ready. And he says, and you must understand that you've been baptized into my spirit. And then he says, all I'm asking is that you trust me. And he says, and he shall show you how to deliver his truth to those in need. And then he just says, hear me. Let's go further. <clears throat> Listen to what the Jewish commentator on this passage says. Whatever the circumstances of Moses and eloquence, whatever caused it, whatever Moses was referring to, whatever the circumstances, it is certain that the underlying idea is that prophetic, prophetic eloquence is not a native talent, but an, but an endowment granted for a special purpose. The message originates with God, not the prophet. I often tell seminaries that the ones who are most natively gifted in their speaking abilities are the ones who will have to work hardest not to get out in front of the word. It is not the messenger. It is not the method. It is not the message. It is the message. Moses in and himself reflects the weakness of God's servants. And so the sovereignty of God in salvation. And he reminds us that God's message is powerful in and of itself. In choosing an unwilling and doubting deliverer, God shows himself to be the true savior of his people. If you look with me at verses 13 through 17, this is Moses' fifth and final question. And this one really is an objection. It's politely stated, but it's an objection. Here it is, verse 13. Please send the message by somebody else. I mean, that's what Moses is saying. Now he says it more nicely than that. He does say, please. That is usually a key word to indicate, Lord, I and I alone am guilty of what I'm about to say. So your condemnation fall upon me, the speaker. He knows that what he is saying is out of order, and he says it fairly nicely, and it sounds like he's being spiritual. Lord, send whoever you will. Switch to the Isaiah scene in Isaiah 6. Here I am, Lord, send me. Well, Moses is saying after God has already told him over and over, you're my man, 
Moses is saying this, so be it, Lord, please send whoever you will. Yeah. <laughs> but not me. Well, some of you guys continue to stay in that place, and the Lord literally says, I've chosen you. And you will probably look at your age. You will probably look at what I'm just now getting back. And the Lord says, but I still chose you. And he literally says, your life journey has led you to this day that I have chosen to call you forward. And he says, and it's not because of your elegance. It's because of your heart towards me, son. And he literally comes out to you and says, you are mine. He says, you've always been mine. He said, even when you chose to do your own thing, he says, I never left you. And he literally asked you to see his love for him, for you. He said, will you see the love I have for you, son? He says, I call you my own. And then he literally shows me, like I see somebody grabbing a kid's hand. You know how you grab a kid's hand and you say, will you come? And the Lord literally shows me, just as you would grab your son's hand and say, will you come? Now, you know how you look back to make sure that person's coming? And the Lord literally looks back and he draws you even closer. But he's not just speaking to you, but he's speaking to everybody that's on this hall in this room. And he's literally asking you to come. He's literally asking you to come. Some of you have already said, Lord, I'm coming, I'm here. And the Lord says, but let me take you where I want to take you. Because some of you are saying, yes, I'll come. But you have restrictions. And some of the places that he wants to take you is beyond where you've been walking. And some of the places he wants to show you is beyond where you've been resting. The Lord says, no more shall you go on your own but you will go into the places that I called you into. And what he means by going on your own, even in the spirit realm, I have this tendency to go to a certain place. I go straight to this garden and I'm always going to the garden. And then I say, and when I get there, I say, we here again? And he's literally saying, but you choose to keep coming here when I want to take you elsewhere. And so even in that place, we go to the most comfortable places that we could see so easily. Because I go and I run to the garden because it's easy for me to get there. But then I hear some of the places that Bradley go into and I see the rooms. But I don't feel like I'm welcome in it. And what I mean that I don't feel like I'm welcome into the places, I see the door. I know they exist. But I don't feel like I'm welcome into the room because I don't feel like I qualify. 
But if he opens the door, you qualify. If he shows you the room, you qualify. But I love to sit by the lake and watch him fish. And the Lord says, there's more than, fish, more than fishing. There's so much more I want to show you. And the other most familiar and comfortable place that I go to, just in case you guys don't know, Toyland. I love Toyland. Yes, there's a Toyland. Oh, it is awesome. The toys talk, okay? And, and it's so awesome, okay? And then there's another place, it's the dance hall. There. There's a lot of times I go to the dance hall and I hang out there. And I don't know if you know, instruments come and they just rest in your hands and you just start playing instruments and you don't know how to play the instrument in, in here, but you can play. I think that's how he learned how to play because they just play. And so I go to these places, but God's saying there's so much more. There's a place where strategy is. There's a whole bunch of other places that God wants to take us into and calls us to see, even when it comes to revelation. You know, I love how he does. He says, stop, stand still. That was for you guys to get it. Because sometimes you think, wow, I got this magnificent power to hear. He pours revelation on you. If you are willing to hear. My words are not my own. Behind the scene, he's talking to me and telling me everything to say. I'm just delivering it. Sometimes he's saying, just open your mouth. The other times he's saying, here you go, say this. But I'm just in that place where I'm yielding my vessel. The key here, and I've said this many times, if you want to hear, you'll hear. If you want him to use you and you believe he can use you, he will. That's why I always tell myself, you will hear your Lord. He shall speak to you and he shall speak to nations through you. And you're going to be correct in what you're hearing. So sit still and listen. Well, Moses, he's told you four times, you're him. So send whoever you will is not a spiritual acquisition. I don't know what that word is. 
uh, to the providence of God, it's Moses begging again. Lord, send somebody else. But in choosing an un but in choosing an but in choosing an unwilling and doubting deliverer, God is showing Himself to be the true Savior of His people. Against the backdrop of this kind, patient of God, against the backdrop of this kind, patient of God. God continues to give reasonable and helpful and encouraging answers to Moses, even though you or I would be tiring of this a long time ago. He continues to give reasonable and helpful answers to Moses. And Moses has the audacity to say, please send somebody else. And we're told in verse 14 that God's response is a combination of anger and wise, gracious patience. The Lord burns, but he does give definite answers to Moses' fears. And I'd like to I'd like you to see two aspects to the Lord's answer looking at verse 14. First of all, notice what we're told. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Now let me just stop right there. The anger of the Lord. That's very interesting. What does that mean? Does God sort of have sudden bursts of fits and rages like we do? Can we sort of tweak him and push him a little too far? And then he blows up. Does he have an emotional life like ours? It's actually to a certain extent controlled and is a response to things outside of himself. If so, how can he be sovereign? Let me introduce a few terms to you. In the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, there are figures of speech called anthropomorphisms. In those figures of speech, we often refer to God or to some activity of God using figures of speech as if God had a body like we do. Sometimes we'll speak of the ear of God or the arm of God or the hand of God or the face of God or the back of God. It's very clear that those are metaphors. That's symbolic speech because the Old Testament as well is very clear that God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like we do. He is totally different. He is an entirely different category from us. He doesn't have a body. And so those are figures of speech in order to describe things which are really beyond the capacity of human language to describe. Then there is a category of things in the Old Testament which we call anthropopathisms. hope I'm saying that right. That's a nice little word. It simply means not only are anthropomorphisms, like the body of the human, but there are anthropopathisms, like the emotions of a human, where human emotions are ascribed to God. What do we do with those? Is his emotional life just like our emotional life? And again, the Old Testament and the New give the answer, no. His emotional life is not like our emotional life. God is a God who is deeply concerned for his people. He loves his people. But his love and what we would call his emotional life or his effective life is different from ours in that it is not vacillating. And it's not controlled from the outside. So what do you do with a passage like this where it says the anger of the Lord burned and you can almost see the picture. You've told the child for the 14th time not to swing his elbows at the table and off goes the milk again. The father goes, I told you not to do that. The anger of the Lord burns and it seems like the anger is produced by the circumstances in which the Lord found himself. But again, I want you to see here what we have is actually an anthropopathism using human words to describe God's activity and action. And how do I know that? Well, the Hebrew doesn't say the Lord burned. Here is what the passage actually says. The nose of the Lord heated up. That's literally what the passage, if you want to be literal about it, it's the nose of the Lord heated up. He burned with anger. My 
ears usually turn red. That's what gives me away. The nose of the Lord heated up. Notice that's an anthropomorphic symbol. It's a term which uses human body figures to describe God. That's a clear tip-off that this is an anthropomorphism. It's an ascription. It's an ascription of human emotional activities to God to express what? His displeasure with Moses. It doesn't indicate that God is vacillating in his or vacillating in his emotional life like we are and consistently controlled from the outside. But it does, it does indicate that God is not an unmoved, unfeeling being. He is a God that deeply cares about right and wrong and obedience. And so his divine displeasure is described in that he burned. But look not only at God's displeasure, look at the graciousness and patience with which he deals with Moses. Look again at verse 14. God gives him a wise, gracious, patient response. Three things that he does to help Moses. First, he says, Moses, there is Aaron, your brother. He's a Levite. The Levites were amongst the, the educated elite in Israel already at this time by the reckoning of many. They were already teachers amongst Israel. And so he says, well, there's your brother. He's a Levite. He's a teacher. He's an educator. Secondly, he says, and he speaks well. Moses, there's your brother. He's an educator. He's a teacher. He's respected among, amongst the community of Israel, and he's a good speaker. He speaks well. And let me tell you something else that you don't know, Moses. He's coming to you right now, and he's going to be glad to see you when he sees you. God encourages Moses, even though Moses tests his patience. And then after those engagements, encouragements, look at verse 15. God gives Moses some commands. Two things. Speak to Aaron. Secondly, tell him my words. You speak to Aaron about what we've been talking about, and you tell him exactly what I told you. Then verse 15 and 16, after those commands, he immediately follows those commands with a series of four encouragements. He says again, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. I will be with his mouth. Secondly, he says, I will personally teach you what to do and say. Thirdly, he says, he, Aaron, will be your spokesman to the people. He'll speak for you to the people. And fourthly, he says, you will tell him my words and only then will he speak to the people. Now, if you're looking at the passage, you're saying, well, where did you get that from? Oh, I got it from right here. Look at what he says. He'll be a mouth for you. End of verse 16. And you will be as God to him. Now, that's a very th strange thing to say, isn't it? You will be a God to him. What in the world is God talking about? How does God deal with his prophets? God speaks, his prophets listen, and they improvise. No. God speaks, his prophets listen, and they say exactly what God said. God literally puts the words in their mouths. Now, listen to what he says. You will be as God to him. God, you see, is teaching Moses about what a prophet is here. He's, te he's teaching us about what a prophet is, and he's saying, Moses, you're going to put my words into Aaron's mouth, and then he is going to speak exactly what I have told you to tell him to say. And so even in giving him Aaron, God is explaining how prophecy works. Prophecy is not according to the opinion of the prophet. Peter tells us this. This inspiration of the prophet is not born of his own creativity. The prophet speaks God's word. He's carried along by the Holy Spirit. He speaks only that which God has given him to speak. God has, in fact, given us a window on the doctrine of inspiration here. 
The Bible is revelation. It's God's revelation of himself to us written written form. The words of the prophets are not their reflections upon an encounter with God. They are God's words given to them to describe the encounter that they have had with him and his word for his people. In verse 17, one last encouragement. God reminds Moses about the staff and he bids him to take it in his hand and to do the appointed attested signs. What do we learn from this passage? What do we learn from this section? Again, two things. We learn God is ultimately the only helper and savior of his people. He uses unwilling, doubting, flawed servants to do his bidding. God is ultimately always our one and only help and save, helper and savior. And secondly, we learn that his prophets are his spokesmen and their job is to merely speak his word, to add nothing to it, to take away nothing from it, to speak his word. You know, there are a lot of people that would like to think that evangelicals invented the doctrine of biblical infallibility and inerrancy. We didn't. God did. This is one example in his word in which he explains it. When prophets speak, they don't speak their own thoughts. They don't even speak their own words. They speak the words that God has given to them to speak. Jeremiah had the same experience. He was given a message to preach to the people that he didn't want to preach. If you've read through the book of Jeremiah, you'll know why he didn't want to preach that message. The Lord called you into ministry and gave you Jeremiah to you for your text. You would know you were in for a rough ride. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you're going to be in a lot of different churches during the course of your ministry because you're going to last about three months in each of them. And Jeremiah says, Lord, no, don't give this from me to say to Israel. He knew how Israel was going to respond to it. Derek tells me that the only book that he started to preach through and stopped in the middle of was Jeremiah. He, I think he got to Jeremiah 16, one Wednesday night in Northern Ireland one night. And he got up and said, friends, I just can't do this anymore. You know what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20 verses seven through nine. He says this, oh Lord, you have enticed me and I was enticed. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me for each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim, I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart, it becomes like burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it and I cannot endure it. God had spoken the word into his heart. He couldn't, but... He couldn't but speak it, even though it meant derision. That's the word of a prophet. It's God's word for his people. Doesn't matter if they like it. Doesn't matter whether they think it's true. Doesn't matter what the immediate effect of it is. It's God's word. His prophets speak, and God's teaching us about that here. That tells us something about how we are to respond to the red word, to the preached word. We're to love it. We're to see that it's God's word. It's not the opinion of man. It's God's word. It's for us. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about his way of salvation. It teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. The response you see is to bow the knee. God's here. He is here. He is here by his word. His word's been read. He's been spoken to us. He's, his word has been explained. He's spoken to us. His word has been proclaimed. He's spoken to us. What's our response? Lord. This is your word. Help me to believe it. Let's pray. And so even as you guys literally listen to what the Holy Spirit is basically saying, 
I think we took so much from that is about standing for him. One thing I wanna make sure that you guys understand because as I was reading the word and I was really listening to what God was really saying and I was trying to find where I literally heard this uh, and, and read it, where God was literally saying in his word that we're all prophets. Some people hold the position totally, but all of us are to speak the words of God and to proclaim it on the rooftops. And so, how would I say this, Lord? He says, say it like this. He said, all of you stand in the office of a high priest. Aaron was a high priest. And the high priestess was responsible for making sure that the word go forward. And so even in that, the Lord is literally saying to you today that his word shall go forward in you. And he literally says, listen to what is being said here. Oh, I found it. You can read it in the... Yeah. Read from beyond. Mm-hmm. I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had rejected any direct dealing with Yahweh, as he said in Exodus 5.2, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Therefore, God would then deal with Pharaoh through Moses. He should stand before Pharaoh in the place of God, not only delivering his messages, but accompanying them with such actions of power as to demonstrate the authority of those messages. This idea carries over into the New Testament, especially when Paul wrote that believers are like letters written by Jesus that the whole world reads. People that won't look to God, look at us. Those who won't read the Bible, read our life. A prophet is one who represents God to man, and as such, all the Lord's people are prophets. Are we given those around a, a true idea of God? And we will read that in Exodus 7 as we go forward. And so now that you know, not only have you been called, but you are a prophet for him. And you shall speak the words that he gives you. And you will stand as he has called forth. And so I close with this, Father God, even now, as your people have heard your word, Let your truth reside in their hearts. Comfort them even now as they embrace the words that was spoken here tonight. And let everything that you have established for them come forth.
and let them no longer be afraid as you chasten them in your word. And even now, Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt that your word shall be performing them. And so I say, amen, amen, and amen. And I know that to be, so be it, so be it, so be it. Amen. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good night, you guys. Good night. If God is building top quality faith in your life through this ministry, we pray that you will partner with us by giving. You can visit our website, tqfm.org. Also, remember to subscribe for more messages like this.